Amen. And um, I thought we might, you know, look at these few verses, maybe for one or two uh, messages, but it looks like we're going to be here for a while. The Holy Spirit, I feel like, is really breathing on this portion of Scripture for us in this season. And so um, uh, we're going to settle in. Amen. I, I do remember, I think, two or three weeks ago saying that I wanted you to become very familiar with this passage to keep it before your eyes. Uh, maybe put it on your refrigerator, your bathroom mirror, uh, on your phone screen or something like that. And um, these words communicate so much to us. Um, for some reason, the Holy Spirit connects them for me and my heart with the Lord's Prayer. And what I mean by that is the, the Lord's Prayer is more than just something we should recite, but it's a model prayer for us to follow. It's, think of it as an outline, and as you work your way through those different points in that outline, you pray those different things out. So, for instance, give us this day our daily bread. That's a, a portion in our daily prayers where we uh, petition uh, God for our resources and, and, and things of this nature. And so, um, in that same way, this is a condensed or compacted uh, portion of Scripture that, um, for those of you who use computers a, a lot, you know, there can be a drop-down uh, arrow in a computer menu, you know, where you click on it and a whole bunch of stuff opens up underneath it. And then you click on the button and it all collapses. Well, each one of these phrases and verses are like that. You, if you had some way to click on it, it would open up to all sorts of things that are mentioned throughout the Word of God, both Old Testament and New Testament. And so um, we're going to click on some of these verses, praise God, and, and really, I think, uh, understand in a deeper way what the Holy Spirit is uh, saying to us uh, in these verses. So um, let's begin. Sister Christie, I apologize. I don't have access, but, um, but Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." Now, before we go any further, I want to draw your attention to verse 38 where he says, For I am persuaded. For I am persuaded. To be persuaded means to be convinced about something. To be persuaded means that, that you have reached a level of, of confidence, a, a level of assurance, a, a level of knowing that goes beyond just you know, casually hearing or you know, some opinion that's equal to other opinions and other points of view. Uh, that you may have about a given situation or circumstance. We've been, um, on Wednesday nights, we've been in a sermon series called Ready for Trial. And, and from there, we, 
we, we're looking at one of the key things that, that Satan tries to use against our faith, and that's doubt. And, and we're looking at, at how uh, doubt enters into the heart and, and the pathway that it travels uh, to get into your heart. Because Jesus said, if, if you believe with no doubting in your heart, without doubting in your heart, you'll have whatever you ask. And uh, not that I'm here to re-preach that sermon, but I'm convinced that the believing part comes natural for a believer, for a born-again believer. The challenge is keeping the doubt out and understanding how the doubt uh, gets into our hearts. And Abraham is a classic example of this. And what we see concerning the things that Father God promised Abraham is that when Abraham and Sarah first heard the promise of God concerning their life, they laughed in his face. It seemed ridiculous, preposterous. They're like, there's no way that me and this woman are going to have a child together. I mean, it's just we're way past that point. And, and yet we see that as they gave glory to God, as they uh, learned to manage their thoughts and not consider certain things, the Bible says that they grew stronger and stronger in faith until they became fully persuaded. So when Paul says, I am persuaded, I want you to understand that he didn't reach that point um, in a few minutes or a few seconds. And I'm not trying to, to paint some negative picture here this morning, but if we're going to be persuaded about things pertaining to the Word of God, it's going to require some effort on our part. The Bible says we have to guard our hearts. You can't just let anything into your heart and be persuaded that what God says is absolutely true concerning you and your family because the enemy is, is constantly trying to undermine your persuasion. As a matter of fact, being fully persuaded is just an elaborate way of, of saying being in faith. Someone who is in faith is someone who is fully persuaded. And so Paul had certainly you know, dealt with a lot of things in his life and was dealing with uh, things when the Holy Spirit inspired him to write this. And he reached a bottom line here. That for which he was persuaded. Uh, in another place in the Bible, we see, we see where the word, word of God says that I am persuaded, right, that, that the one that I've believed in is able to keep that which I've committed to him. And so we hear that, we hear that phrase, again, the use of that word persuasion. And, and so think about a salesman trying to persuade someone to buy something, right? At first, you may not be sure if you want it or not, and so the salesman is trying to sell you. He's trying to persuade you. And he persuades you by telling you what all this thing will do and how good it is and how it's going to change your life and how good you're going to look driving in it and, 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 and all these things because he's ultimately trying to convince your heart to agree and make the purchase. So when we talk about coming to this place of, of persuasion, being fully persuaded, there are things that we can do that will bring us to that place of confidence and assurity. And then there are also things that we can be negligent in uh, or, or, or opposite of that, fail to be diligent in, that at the same time will undermine that confidence and undermine that persuasion. All right, so we're going to talk about a lot of things over the coming uh, days as we close out this year. Some of this may even spill over into 2021. Um, we're going to take our time. I mean, sometimes I get in such a hurry. I, I, you know, there's, I probably got five sermons on deck with me this morning. Obviously, we're not going to get to all of them. But we're going to take our time and work our way through this. And I believe it's going to make a big, big difference um, in our lives. Amen. Now, the opening uh, verse in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? 
What then shall we say to these things? And what he's basically asking us is, how are you going to respond? How are you, how are you going to respond? What are you going to say about it? Or what are you going to do about it? Now, some of this is review. Some of this we're going to weave in some new material. So just uh, stay with me on this. Last week we said never underestimate the power of your response. Never underestimate the power of your response. I've told you the answer to this question before, so it's not a trick question, but um, if somebody was to ask you what was the first point of Jesus' first public sermon, and the first point of Jesus' first public sermon is what we know as the Beatitudes. In other words, the first thing that he addressed when he opened his mouth as a human being on planet earth and began to speak to us was attitude. I want you to think about all the things he could have started with. I want you to think about all of the subjects that he could have uh, uh, you know, taken, all the Old Testament verses that he could have expounded upon, all the uh, different issues facing humanity and mankind and and his mission and and all that he came to do for us and all that he came to teach us and reveal to us about his father, about his father's kingdom, about our salvation, about our sin and the answer to it. In other words, the the, the list of things, um, you know, is literally could have been overwhelming for Jesus. Um, all the wisdom and knowledge and understanding that he had. And how excited he was to be able to share that information and share that truth with us. He came to set the record straight. Are you hearing me? He, he came to correct some confusion and some misunderstandings and some wrong thinking, a lot of it, especially that was being, uh, you know, perpetuated, that was, that was being preached and taught uh, by the religious establishment of Jesus' day. And he's going to get to some of that before he finishes this first sermon, this Sermon on the Mount. But the first thing before he addressed anything else was attitude. And to me, there's, there's few other things that we could say about attitude that would communicate to us the importance of it. Okay? Now, why am I talking to you about attitude? Why is attitude so important? Well, attitude is important because your attitude determines your response. Your attitude determines your response. Your attitude towards a person, your attitude towards a thing, your attitude towards a situation will determine how you respond to that person, thing, or situation. Think about that for a moment now. When he asks you, what, you're going to, what are you going to say to these things? Well, what he's really saying is, what is your attitude towards these things? Because your attitude is going to determine what you say and how you act in response to uh, again, things are, 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 are people or situations that you may deal with in your life. Um, in an effort to communicate the importance of, of attitude, it, it, it's been said attitude is everything. I'm not, so much sure that, I'm not so sure that I agree with that. I mean, obviously in context you could make a case for attitude being everything. But when it comes to how you respond in, in the situations that you face and, and the things that you deal with and the people that you deal with in life, certainly um, your attitude is at the top of the list uh, when it comes to importance. Now, when we talk about response, we're talking about the things that we say and do. And we said never underestimate the power of your words and actions in any 
given situation. How you respond to challenges you face in life is the difference between victory and defeat. Thank you for putting that on the screen, Christy. How you respond to the challenges you face in life is the difference between victory and defeat. So let's make it real simple, okay? A wrong attitude is going to equal wrong words and actions. If your attitude is wrong, then what you say is going to be wrong and what you do is going to be wrong, okay? And again, wrong words and actions are the difference between victory and defeat. How you respond to the chaos around you will determine whether you are part of the answer or part of the problem. How you respond will determine whether you're part of the answer or part of the problem. Okay? Now, let's, let's talk for a, a moment about some different responses because we said this last week, but we kind of said it in connection with a whole bunch of other points and things that we were talking about. And the Holy Spirit brought me back to this because I think we need to be a little more specific right? Now, think about, and I'm just going to give you some different responses, and I want you to compare, you know, where these two responses uh, will will take you, right? How about if we respond to a situation or to a person um, with gossip? See, this is what a lot of people do. If there's some conflict, you know, where you work or some conflict in your family or or your extended family, if there's some decision that somebody's made that you don't agree with, that you think they should have done, uh, you know, differently, um, Brother Greg, would you mind uh, muting the uh, uh, 13? I'm getting this echo behind me. I apologize. I I don't mean to be so... (laughs) easily distracted but when I hear myself twice it's like okay do I need to stop and let y'all hear what I just said or do I need to just keep talking right praise God I think it's monitor mix 13 the one behind me is what is what I'm hearing myself behind me there so amen thank you brother praise God so again you know some some choice that somebody's made some uh, decision some issue some problem uh, in your life we have them every day, if not multiple opportunities to respond to things like this every day of our lives, okay? So are we going to respond with gossip? Or are we going to respond with prayer? Again, the choice is yours. But notice, if you gossip, you're just part of the problem. But if you pray and speak the word... You're part of the answer. Amen? So we could respond with offense. I don't know if you've stopped to consider how many times a day you have the opportunity to be offended. We talked about that last week. We said that's simply a trap that the enemy has set for you. So are you going to take it personally and be offended, take offense? Or are you going to forgive? 
Show mercy, right? Do you see again? It's, it, how are you going to respond? Listen, I, I certainly don't set out to do it, and I, and I don't think any of you in here set out to do it, but I'm sure there are times that I do things and say things that people could take offense to. And I don't know about you, but I sure do like it when people give me the benefit of the doubt. I sure do like it when people say, well, you know, maybe he's having a hard day. Maybe, maybe there's a, a lot that's going on in his life right now, and, and he, he didn't mean to do that or slight me or this or that, right? We all like it when people extend that same, uh, you know, uh, grace to us. But again, it's a classic example. If we're going to be offended, we're just going to amplify the problem. We're going to be a part of the problem. But if we choose instead to forgive, recognizing that we certainly, you know, have been the beneficiary of a lot of forgiveness in our lives, notice now we, we, just, we, we just became part of the answer. We may have just nipped something in the bud that the enemy really worked overtime to, to try to get started. A lot of times these, the, the Bible talks about these things sprouting up. But at the the same time, they're cropping up in our lives. They're putting down roots of bitterness in our hearts. Okay, so let me give you kind of another practical example here. Um, We could respond with judgment. Come on now. We could respond with judgment. Think about that now. There's all kinds of things that people do in our lives that, that affect us or choices, again, back to things that people may do on your job and the family, decisions, choices, actions, um, things they do. Or how about this one? Things that you wanted them to do but they didn't do. Right? And so now all of a sudden you have the opportunity to respond by passing judgment on this person. Do I need to remind you that Today is not judgment day. There is a judgment day coming, but it's not today. Thank God for that. Come on now. But even if judgment day was today, you're not the judge. You're not the judge. It's not your place to judge. Does the Bible have a lot to say to us about not judging other people? Yes, it does. But notice the same option we have to judge another person, we also have an option to show that person mercy. We have that, that, matter of fact, the Bible says, and I can show you all kind of verses about this, but the Bible says, I think it's in the book of James, that mercy rejoices against judgment. And the Bible also says that if you judge other people, you'll be judged. How many of you know that's part of the problem? But that the same mercy we show to other people, that will be shown back to us in return. That's part of the answer. I mean, as fundamentally as I know how to say it this morning, mercy is part of the answer that we all need in life. You know, if, if, you, if you, like me, still struggle in areas of your life with you know, discipline and obedience and what have you, then mercy is the answer to that. We need mercy. But if we're going if we're, if we're to judge everybody and everything that other people do, we're shutting ourselves off from the mercy that we need, which not only compounds the problem you know, let's go back to some situation in the place, your, your place of employment where somebody's made a choice that, that you don't agree with or you don't like. Remember, humility is only a factor when people over you make a decision you don't agree with, right? So are, are, how, how are we going to respond to this? 
And we can gossip about it. We can be offended at it. We can pass judgment over it. And, and notice all of that is, is just creating a, a much bigger problem, causing division. Um, listen to me. Large organizations have been destroyed by things like this. Churches have been devastated by things like gossip and judgment. And, and amen, people have been, uh, you know, offense. Um, people, baby Christians, have been devastated by these kinds of responses. You got time for a few more? <laughs> How about this one here? We all have the option to respond by complaining. And if you complain, you're not trying to put the fire out, right? Complaining just throwing gasoline on the fire. Okay? You know, for every opportunity we have to complain, we also have an opportunity to respond by being thankful. You know, maybe the boss doesn't always do the things that you want him to do, but you sure are thankful to have a job. If you were in charge, you may have done it differently, but you're not in charge. And so we're going to pray for those who are, and we're going to show them mercy because we don't know what it's like to be responsible for the things that they're responsible for. And we're going to be thankful. Are you seeing this? Amen. We're going to forgive Wow, see, this is what I'm talking about, how you respond. It's going to determine whether or not you experience and enjoy the victory that Jesus paid such a high price for you to enjoy experience in life or defeat. And there are a lot of people who blame God for their defeat when that's, again, silliness. Because it's based upon your response. Remember, He's already responded to you. By His stripes you were healed. He's already responded to your greatest need in life. He's already uh, responded to to, to things that you don't even know you're going to need in the future. The question comes down to, boils down to, how are you going to respond? And really, we could, in my notes, kind of have out to the side uh, pride versus humility. Because it's a prideful person that that gossips and judges and is offended easily and complains. Okay, that's a prideful person. But we can choose to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. The Bible says if we'll do that, He'll give us more grace and even more grace and even exalt us in due season. It's a humble man or woman who prays and forgives and shows mercy and is thankful. So, that's kind of one of the things that I've asked the Lord to help me, and I always, but especially in this particular study that we're in right now, is to give you some very simple, practical things that you can begin to apply in your life right now, today, this afternoon. Amen. Amen. Just think how much better our world would be if people prayed more and gossiped less, are you, are you hearing me? Forgave more and were less offended, were more humble and less prideful. 
more thankfulness and less complaining. Amen. Amen. So we said that bringing your words and actions into alignment with God's words and actions creates a defense around you that cannot be penetrated. See, when you're prayerful and forgiving and merciful and thankful and humble, (laughs) that's also known as giving no place to the devil. When we're instead prideful and easily offended and gossiping and judging and complaining, I heard somebody say, and this will really help you with complaining, that complaining is nothing more than giving praise to the devil. That's kind of strong, isn't it? Now, so are you seeing now why Jesus launched his public teaching ministry by addressing our attitude? How about this? Your attitude towards Jesus and the response it produces determines what he is able to do in your life. Wow. Wow. I mean, I could give you all kinds of examples of this, you know. You probably have folks in in your circle of of, of friends or uh, maybe even in your family, hopefully not, but, you know, their attitude towards Jesus is he's just a fake or a phony or this or that. Notice how that limits what he's able to do. Their response to him limits what he's able to do in their life, but in the same way, your attitude towards him, the place that you give him, we talked a lot about that, not too long ago, and the response it produces determines ultimately what he's able to do in your life. So this first uh, point here, your words and actions, what we're calling response, have the ability to silence and dominate the devil. I got a lot of amens on that one, so I didn't just bring it up this morning because of that. But in the same way that your words and actions have the ability to silence and dominate the devil, your words and actions also have the ability to prevent the will of God from being accomplished in your life. In other words, they, they don't just have the ability and, and power to silence the enemy. They have the ability and power to silence God's voice in your life as well. Now, life is choice-driven and the devil cannot control your life. The devil, rather, can control your life to the extent he can influence your choices. The next six slides are points we made and commented on last week. And so I I initially was taking them out of my notes, but I really felt like I just needed to remind you of these things one more time. So we expounded on this last week. Um, I'm going to just read through them quickly without elaborating, all right? So follow along, and again, these messages are easily downloaded, free. Watch them, listen to them. Um, For those of you taking notes, I know we're going to go fast here. So just review, reminder, Satan's strategy is use what is going on around us to influence our thoughts in order to manipulate our words and actions. There is a powerful link connecting your thoughts to your words and actions. That link is your emotions. Your thoughts fuel your emotions and your emotions are powerful contributors to your words and actions. When you allow the devil to influence your thoughts, you are by default allowing him to influence your emotions. Thoughts are fuel to your emotional engine. You cannot manage your emotions if you never learn to manage your thinking. Wrong thoughts produce negative emotions, and the more emotional we are, the more vulnerable we are to wrong words and actions. Amen.
Um, kind of like when my Mimi would talk about something she cooked, and she would say, you know, that is good, even if I say so myself. Amen. That's, that's some good stuff right there. Now, I'm telling you that not because it's me. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay, I, I know when it's him, it's, it comes faster than I can write it down sometimes. Okay. But those are some very, very important things. Very, very important things for us to understand. All right, now. How are you going to respond? What will you say to these things? This is very, very important. This is what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is emphasizing to us. And I'll be the first to say that I can, I have lots of room to improve in this area. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Let's not, let's not be prideful about it. Let's not think that our responses are always perfect and we always get it right. Okay? Um, if, if, if you're a husband in the room and think that, then just, you know, ask your wife. You're looking straight ahead at me. You're not, you're not even looking over at her, right? Amen. Okay? So we can all improve here. Am I right about this? We can all improve here. This, this is one of those areas where we've been ignorant of the devil's devices. And remember we asked the question last week, what could the devil accomplish in your life or in this world if, if we didn't listen to him? If nobody listened to him, if nobody thought what he wanted us to think, if nobody said what he wanted us to say, if nobody did what he wanted us to do. All right? So clearly, again, you know, if, if we've ever responded with gossip and judgment and complaining and all these other things, that's the enemy influencing your thinking, manipulating you emotionally, and, and manipulating, um, you know, wrong words and actions from you. Okay, now, we've got a few more minutes. Can you hang in here a few more minutes? All right. So let's go back to Romans 8.31. Romans 8 and 31. With the Holy Spirit's help, I've identified seven, seven important areas of response. Okay? Seven important areas of response. And so, let's begin with this, this first one, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, from this, um, let's, let's go to number one, Christy, uh, slide 37. This is the question we need to ask ourselves. How are you going to respond to the challenges you are facing? Okay? This is important. How are you going to respond to the challenges you are facing? I, I, I keep being pulled back and forth. Let me... Thank you, Jesus. Let me, we're not going to be able to comment on probably half of these today. Hopefully we'll be able to come back to this one. But I want to just, thank you, Holy Spirit. I I just want to show you the pattern in all of this, okay? So um, let's go to slide 43. We'll come back. Let's go to slide 43. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So number two is, how are you going to respond to the needs you are experiencing? All right? So notice again, first of all, he's, he's dealing with the things that we're facing in life. How are you going to respond to the things you're facing in life? 
the, this next uh, verse is talking about how we're going to respond to the needs that we're experiencing, to the things that we need in life, to the things that we need and don't seem to, to have or can't quite seem to lay hold on. How many of you know the devil wants to manipulate your response when it comes to the things that you need to receive from God by faith? Am I right about this? Are you hearing me? This is important. How, how do we respond to the perceived need? Okay. Did Jesus have a lot to say about this? Matter of fact, he said this. He said, if the birds eat, you eat. Right? Consider the sparrows. Why are you worried? Let me tell you why we're worried. Worry is a wrong response. Talk about practical responses. How many people respond with the gossip and the judgment and the offense and the complaining and the pride? You realize worry is pride. Worry is you trying to take a place of control in your life that, that, that you were never given. Amen. He talked about humbling yourself and casting your care upon him. And, the, and that pride is when you try to take needless cares that, that you are not responsible for in your life. And, and, it, and it's pride and it causes God to resist you. But the, the humble get the grace. So, number two, how are you going to respond to the needs you are facing? Okay, verse 33, slide 48. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Right? So number three, how are you going to respond to the devil's false accusations? How are you going to respond to the devil's false accusations? The Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. And he is constantly accusing you. You say, to God... He knows that won't fly. He accuses you to yourself. He accuses you to the jury of your own heart. How are you going to respond when the enemy accuses you of things that you no longer are? Are you hearing me? Again, do you realize how many people don't know, how many born-again believers do not know how to respond when the enemy attacks them in this area of their life? Verse number 33, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So number four, how are you going to respond to your past sins and failures? How are you going to respond to your past sins and failures? If we could get the sin consciousness out of the body of Christ, we'd get this world won for our king in less than a year. There are so many people who believe they are not worthy. I'm so unworthy. I'm so this and I'm so that. Because they do not have a consciousness, an awareness of the righteousness that they've become and that they've been made in Christ Jesus. How are you going to respond to your past sins and failures? Are you going to continue to refer to yourself in light of those things? Are you going to continue to think of yourself in light of those things? Are you going to begin to see yourself as your Heavenly Father sees you as the new creation that you became in Christ Jesus? How are you going to respond to these things? Praise God. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Our tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? 
So this is the fifth area of response. Number five, how are you going to respond when problems make you feel distant from God? See, we, we go through uh, problems and, and, and issues and struggles, and if we're not careful, we'll, we'll let those things... When I say separate you from Him, there, if two things become one, you can't separate those things anymore. So the, one of the key words here is make you feel distant from God. He's in you, my friend. You're in Him. As far as your born-again spirit is concerned, you can't be any closer to Him than one with Him. But there are a lot of people who let what's going on around them make them feel distant from God. They even ask questions like, where is God? Why isn't God helping me with this? Why is God allowing this? Why is this? Why is that? Right? And notice that they feel distant. So how are you going to respond when problems make you feel distant from God? There are a lot of people who respond by blaming God, by accusing God. There are a lot of people who... Who, who respond by giving up on God and, 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 and going to other things, reverting back to old behaviors and old coping mechanisms. Amen or oh me on that. All right, verse 36, As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So this is the sixth area of response. How are you going to respond when the devil tries to blame your problems on God? How are you going to respond when the devil tries to blame your problems on God? There's a lot of explaining to do. I'm not going to try to do it all right here. But this was one of those things that they said in their day that would be comparable to things that are said in our day when somebody's trying to encourage you and, and build you up and talk about the goodness of God and the power of God and God's will to prosper you and God's will to heal you and God's will to save your family and God's will to protect you and God's will to provide for you. And, and you're sitting there trying to build somebody up and encourage somebody and they look at you and they go, what about Job? What about Job? Right? And what's our response to that every time, church? What about Jesus? What about Jesus? He's a new and better and living way. Amen? But this is what this verse basically, when Paul mentions it here, because this was, this was a, a, a popularly held opinion of the day. Um, you know, they would quote this passage out of the Old Testament. You know, poor pitiful me, for your sake we're killed all the day long. We're just sitting ducks. How are you going to respond when the devil tries to bring that same age old argument to you? How are you going to respond when the devil comes to you quoting scripture? Trying to convince you with what the Word says that somehow God is not for you. Thank you, Jesus. All right, verse 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. This is our seventh response, okay? How are you going to respond when it looks and feels like you are losing? If you looked at Paul just from the outside looking in, you would think that he was, you know, one broken, miserable, defeated, doomed individual. He had the most powerful physical government, natural government in the world against him. 
He had the most powerful religious institution in the world against him. He had committed crimes against God's people, against the church. God forgave him for all that, made him a new creation. But now his crimes were against the Roman Empire, against the Jewish religion. Are you, are you seeing this? And so now he's a prisoner. He's in chains. And notice his response. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, it didn't look or feel like Paul was winning. Come on now. It didn't look like he was winning. It certainly didn't feel like he was winning. What was Paul's response? Poor pitiful me. I give my whole life to try to do something for God and look what he does to me. Where are you, God, now when I need you? None of of that's coming out of his mouth. He's like, none of this changes anything about his love for me. None of this changes anything about the victory that I have in Christ Jesus. None of this, amen, makes any difference in, in my present or in my eternity. You see, we've got to learn how to respond when it doesn't look like we're winning, when it doesn't feel like we're winning. We've got to be careful because a lot of people, when it don't look like they're winning and it doesn't feel like they're winning, they talk like a loser, not a winner. They act like a loser, not a winner. Their attitude shifts, right? And next thing you know, their emotions get involved and those emotions start producing, uh, you know, influencing words and actions that do not line up with who you are and what's been done for you and what's been given to you in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing this? Praise God. All right. Singers, musicians, come on. Let's, uh, let's close this out with some Thanksgiving week. Let's uh, close, close the service out this morning with some worship. Um, let me give you one last thought as they're coming, okay? And I, we'll, get to, we'll get to number one and work our way through these seven things starting next Sunday morning. But here is its... Um, it's slide 41, Christy. Can you put slide 41 up there? I really like this right here. Amen. You will always win if your response to what's against you is based upon who is for you. Don't ever respond based upon what's against you. Don't ever respond based upon what you're facing and dealing with. One more time, you'll always win if your response to what's against you is based upon who is for you. If God be for me, who can be against me? Oh, John Mark's got it. Okay. Amen. (laughs) I was like, I know sometimes you can't hear me back there, but if you can't hear me right there, we got real problems. All right. Amen. Let's stand together. Praise God. Amen. You get anything out of this? All right. So you're going to be around some family this week, right? How are we going to respond to them? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. How are we going to respond to them? Mercy, thankfulness, forgiveness. Amen. Maybe somebody listening to me right now, you, you need to pull somebody aside out in the backyard when the kids are throwing a football and say, hey, 
I need you to forgive me. I, I've, I've held some things in my heart against you. That, amen. Come on now. That's clear in the air. That's being part of the answer, not a part of the problem. Right? I've told you this before. When I went to Kenya, um, of course, Mark, you know, McClellan spent so much time overseas, and, and he looked at me and he said, you know, there's lots of things you're going to, basically I'm paraphrasing the conversation. He said, just remember, in, in every situation, be humble, humility, right? Amen. Because, you know, you got hotheads and you got, you got crooked police and you got all kinds of things. And, and, um, and I thought, you know, that's great for me to remember going to Kenya, but it's also great for me <laughs> to remember going to Hueytown. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Just hu- always be humble. Amen. Be humble. Praise God. Father, you're good to us this morning and we love you. We thank you for these practical things from your word. And Lord, as we look at the end of this year and the beginning of a new year, Lord, I thank you that you're, you're getting us ready to respond. Lord, a plan while we're thinking straight, should there come a day when we're not. And we've actually planned out our response to perceived needs. We've planned out our response, Father, to situations and challenges.